we have this longing for something that we know in this distant past somewhere. We have this longing for for God. We have this longing for the things of God. Um, even the progressive secular world is trying to create. My friend Mark Sayers says, trying to create uh, the kingdom of God without the king. We're trying to create uh, God's world without God. We have this longing for Eden, and while we don't practice Eden, we long for it. We yearn for it. We have forgotten it. And when you start to practice the Sabbath, when you start to practice a day off, all of a sudden that stuff that you've been longing for starts coming to the surface. And you're like, this is what I've been yearning for. This is what I've been striving for. I've been longing for this day. And when you start doing it, when you start practicing it, it is the closest thing to Eden I've ever experienced. That was A.J. Swoboda. And this is the Things Above podcast. My guest today is A.J. Swoboda. He is the professor of Bible and theology at Northwest Christian University in Eugene, Oregon. And he also runs a DMIN program at Fuller Theological Seminary. He is an award-winning author or editor of nine books, speaks regularly at conferences, retreats, churches, and seminars. He's married to Quinn, has a son named Elliot. That's the basic bio. But I consider him my friend, and I'm so glad that he was willing to be on the Things Above podcast and this Things Above conversation. So welcome, AJ. Boy, what an honor to be with you today. Thanks for having me. It's great. And I have uh, followed your work for a long time, and there's so much we can talk about. But your most, uh, well, I guess it's, is, is Subversive Sabbath your most recent book? Yeah, it is. It, yeah. Yes, it is my most recent book, although almost at the same time, another book had come out uh, uh, called Redeeming How We Talk, which is on kind of Christian civility and, and learning how to talk in a world that doesn't know how to. But Subversive Sabbath certainly is the... Yes, the, it's, yeah. it's pretty close to your most recent book. Yeah, but, there yeah. you go. Yep. Uh, you are a very prolific writer and uh, and a great writer, too. And you, oh, and, you. and so, yeah, but congrats on uh, Subver- Subversive Sabbath being uh, named uh, Spiritual Formation Book of the Year by Christianity Today. So oh, that's yeah. yeah I told, fantastic. <clears throat> I, was, I uh, had mentioned, I've mentioned a couple times I, I when I found that news out uh, back in January, I told my wife and uh, she uh, she said immediately said that it must have been a very light year in Christian publishing, um, <laughs> to which I I felt that was an apropos comment for, for my wife who is very helpful in reminding me my I have side. a very similar wife who reminds me of those things. So a prophet's without honor in his own country, right? Same <laughs> for husband in his, you know, and it's good for us, right? It's good Amen. to have that. There you go. But any no seriously, congratulations. That is wonderful, and uh, and I I believe the book is fully deserving of that, and glad for that. Um, Mm. So, uh, you know, one thing I don't know as we just are getting started, uh, you go by AJ and I don't know what it stands for. Can I take a guess? I think it stands for Aloysius Juniper. Am I close? Really close. Um, (laughs) uh, It's a slight variation on that. It's Aaron Jason, but very close. Very close. The spelling was off a little bit, but you were Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's, <laughs> I, I've been working on that one for a couple yeah, Aloysius Juniper. I like it. Juniper, yeah. And I'm going to call you that just because I can. It feels right. It just Private. feels right. Yeah, that's right. Well, this is a great book on the Sabbath. We're going to talk about the Sabbath, which is a, a very important, I mean, it's in the Big Ten, right? It's a commandment. So we need to <laughs> learn all we can about it. And, and this book was, I think, the best book I've read on it. And wow. I learned so much. But... Uh, let's start with, there's an opening story or nearly the beginning of the story about your grandma and grandpa winning the lottery, like 4.6 million. First of all, that did that really happen? I mean, I'm guessing it did because you wrote about it, but tell us, tell listeners about that story and what you learned from it. Yeah. I mean, that's like the opening story in the book. I, um, when I was a kid, my, um, my parents, my grandparents, um, but kind of miraculous. I was just out of the blue, won the lottery. They won the the Oregon state lottery. They were on their way to come visit my mom and I, and they won, um, $4.3 million. It was, a it was kind of, it was a shock obviously to the family and everything. Um, but the, the part of that story that, that I kind of lean into is that it, it really was, uh, the outcome was very difficult. Uh, it led to, 
bitterness, anger, eventually divorce. I mean, it was a very hard part of our family's story. And in a lot of ways, I wish we had never won the lottery. Um, but I, I tell that story as a way to introduce the Sabbath because the the story of the Sabbath in, in the Bible is that the, the, the Sabbath day, the day of rest, is a gift from God. And it is this invitation from God one day a week to stop and cease and enjoy God's presence. And the story of humanity is that more often than not, we just don't know how to handle big gifts. And big gifts really, we don't have the character to handle handle them. Just as my grandparents didn't know how to handle $4.3 million, we don't know how to handle this incredible, generous gift that God gave to us on the first day that we were created as human beings, which was we were made on day six and day seven, the day of rest was their first day of existence. I mean, the, the very fact that humanity began with rest. Uh, we don't know how to handle this gift. It's it's too big for us. And usually it just descends into argument and bitterness around legalism and how-tos and whatnot, when in reality, it's just the biggest gift in the world. I think that's one of the things I loved about the fact that that was the opening story, because you're framing it in a different way, as you mentioned, not legalistically like, hey, you have to do this, God said, hmm. but but starting out with, let's look at what this this is, what mm-hmm. the Sabbath really is. And it really is a gift, and mm-hmm. and when we don't do well with gifts, and um, well, I love that intro because th- that is for me the nature of what it is, and and reframing the way I approach Sabbath as a gift, not an mm-hmm. obligation, mm-hmm. I think really shifts the way I approach it. But um, just for for listeners, there may be somebody out there who's like, I, I I'm a Christian, but I really don't know much about the Sabbath. My denomination doesn't talk a lot about it. Uh, I don't hear sermons about it. I don't hear encouragement. I've never read a book about it. Uh, what would you say, AJ, to somebody who just wants to know, so what is the Sabbath and mm. what does it look like to try to keep it? Yeah, that's a, a great kind of introductory question. Uh, you know, the Sabbath, <clears throat> the big picture is that the Sabbath is a 24-hour period that God invites um, humanity, creation, not just humanity, but all of creation to stop and be and enjoy God and and to enjoy life and this uh, when you when you look at the 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 principle of the Sabbath which really is drawn from the f- the first two pages of uh, the Bible the creation story uh, in the Bible uh, you find that this idea of Sabbath which God gave to the the Jewish people the covenant people uh, you know thirty five hundred years ago or even in creation whenever that was um, that this is a unique kind of signpost that God gave to the covenant people, Israel, and by extension, uh, to the to the covenant people today, God's uh, the, the church, uh, the, the followers of Jesus, um, and so the the idea is when God made Adam and Eve on day six, He said on day seven, I want you to rest, and it becomes the first um, as a, the the first I think image of the gospel in the Bible, and that is that God begins the life of Adam and Eve by enjoying rest. They don't work for six days and then get a day off. They begin with rest, and out of that rest, they work. It's the first image of the gospel, which is that God always, that's God's character. God always begins with love, um, uh, his love before uh, we work out of it, which is you know the, the, the nature of the Christian life, that we begin with resting in Christ. We begin with God's love, and out of that, uh, we do the work of repentance and sanctification and, and all of that. Um, and so really, at the end of the day, it is uh, a, a one-day period um, where we stop every week and we enjoy God and we jo- enjoy each other and we go on walks and we eat a good meal and um, we, we're intimate with our spouse and we're, we watch a good movie with our kid. And um, if we're single, we uh, enjoy a day with a friendship with people that we love. Um, so it's a day of ceasing. It's a day of enjoying. Um, and I, honestly, I don't know how I was a Christian before I did it. And that doesn't mean that it saved me. I just don't know how I lived without this practice, which I began uh, about 15 years ago. Well, if you're like me, I mean, how we lived, it was frazzled and, and, Mm -hmm. and no margin and uh, burning the candle at both ends, all those cliches for me. I mean, that's, that's what it was as well, because like you, AJ, I, uh, I didn't grow up with it as a Christian. I didn't hear anything about it. It was something that uh, I sort of stumbled onto, and I'm grateful for that, that there were some Christian writers and speakers who began to to kind of bring it to my attention. And I went, 
Hmm, that's interesting. Mm. I mean, I think my actually my first introduction to the Sabbath, and, and you mentioned the Seventh Day Adventists, but uh, when I was a little kid, one of my best friends who lived two houses down, uh, their family were very devout Seventh Day Adventists, and mm. as you know, maybe listeners don't know, but that partic- particular denomination, uh, it's it's not something. It's not a suggestion for them. I mean, <laughs> it's 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 uh, for Adventists. It's a uh, it's a big part of their belief system. And so uh, what my first memory as a little kid was that my buddy Tom just, he couldn't play on Saturdays. Mm. And it was just, that was just, and uh, I remember as a little kid, I went, oh, Tom can't. And I remember his family being kind of cloistered, like they just stayed in their house. And I don't know how well they kept the Sabbath or anything because I was a little kid. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I right. don't know much. And I don't, I know that I really, Tom was a great dude. He's a good guy. And his family were, his parents were just, some of the nicest people you ever met and they were a lovely family. So I, I, I grew up kind of respecting the Sabbath mm. just because they kept it and they were really great people. Um, but then, uh, my first, the first church I actually worked in after seminary, uh, a ch- one of the church secretary, she was actually seventh day Adventist. And so, and she, uh, she loved talking about Sabbath with me. Mm. So I just started picking it up and then I started, and, and it, it piqued my interest, and then I read a bit about it, and I started to try to practice. I struggled with it. We'll talk about, I think, some of the challenges for sure. But just as a basic uh, question that I ask pretty much every guest who's written a book is, so why did you write this book? Because writing mm. a book is a big thing. It takes a long time. It's a mm. lot of work. Mm. Why did you do it? Boy, yeah. Um, great question. And uh, I, I've, this, this is a story that I've, I've, I've kind of told a, a couple of times in, in different contexts, but it really was the beginning. The, uh, the, the, the genesis of this book was a number of years ago when as a college age pastor, I went through uh, my own uh, burnout experience as it were of working 80 hours a week. And uh, on a Saturday morning, just sitting down and um, basically quitting ministry and saying, I'm done to telling my wife, I'm fi- if this is ministry, I'm finished. And I uh, f- took my f- little flip phone, which we used to have back then 15 years ago, and I broke it over my my knee and I threw it up against the wall. And I said, if this is ministry, I'm done. I don't want anything to do with that. And it was, uh, I had become, you know, but one of my favorite uh, quips is from uh, Will Willimon. I had become a quivering mass of availability. I had become everything to everybody but God. Uh, I was available to everyone but God. And uh, by God's sheer sovereign grace, at the time was reading a book by Eugene Peterson. I believe it was under under the unpredictable plant in which he talks about the Sabbath day. I think it was that or it was working the angles. It was one of the two. And I read about how Peterson would keep this day of Sabbath. He would take a day and he'd go up in the mountains with his wife. They'd eat a lunch and he would read a psalm and that it was a completely unremarkable day. There was nothing that he could journal about. It was just enjoying God. Mm. And I started to be intrigued by this. And I, I, it took a long time, but we started to, to practice it. And I knew uh, about five years ago that this book needed to be written when, after we had planted our church in Portland, planted the church in Portland that we recently transitioned out of, and I moved into full-time uh, academic work. But that this church that we had planted um, five years in got really tired, which is natural for church plant. Church planting is really hard. And so I decided to do what every pastor does when there's a problem in the church. I did a sermon series um, <laughs> on on rest. And I preached for three weeks on the Sabbath. And I preached on uh, a lot of things that have upset a lot of people. I preached on uh, preached a sermon on marijuana once. I preached. I lived in Portland. I had to talk about it. We lived, preached a church sermons on sexuality, on on politics. So I preached sermons that upset people and I preached for three weeks on the Sabbath. And I don't think we ever had more people leave the church. Um, there was this, it <laughs> wow. was shocking how offensive this idea was to really, um, aff- really affluent white um, urbanites in Portland. And <clears throat> the elders got to, they said, we, we should talk about this. And I remember it was a Sunday afternoon and we were sitting around with the elders talking about the Sabbath. And I brought up the Ten Commandments, and I had this epiphany. This was the moment I knew I, I wanted to write the book. <clears throat> I had this epiphany that if you take the Ten Commandments, right, and you, as a pastor, if I was to break nine of these commandments, uh, if I 
you know, if I started stealing money from the church, I'd probably lose my job. If I committed adultery, I'd probably lose my job. If I murdered somebody, I would definitely lose my job. And it dawned on me, this is one of the worst epiphanies, darkest epiphanies I've ever had, that if I uh, don't take a day of rest uh, as a pastor, I'll probably get a raise. Mm. Um, it, and it dawned on me for the very first time that this is become the one commandment that the American church actually celebrates breaking. Mm. And that was the mo- that was the impetus, that moment. It was a culmination of my own burnout experience and that experience of seeing that with the Ten Commandments and preaching in our church. And it has just become clearer and clearer and clearer to me that this commandment, it is not a mistake that it is the only commandment in the Ten that begins with the word remember. It's, a, it's like God knew what he was doing. <laughs> um, because of the 10, this is the one that we are most likely to forget. Yeah. And, and, and I, I love the phrase you use in the book, which is Sabbath amnesia, which mm. is, is, uh, that's what happens is that we, I mean, it's a, it's a great way of putting it. Cause you know, amnesia is like, you, you can't really remember that that is mm. there. And, and then as I think about Sabbath keeping it, I think if you ask most people who have maybe try to memorize the 10 commandments which i did a long time ago but <laughs> i think if you say hey can you name the 10 commandments and people are like yeah there's a bunch of do nots thou shalt nots and that yeah. sort of thing yeah. but it's like uh even if you know that remember the sabbath and keep it holy is is in that list we do forget and yeah. uh yeah. And, and, I, and i think and that, if i ahead. can add to that just and the the almost immediate pushback among at least the circles that I run in, the kind of evangelical, charismatic, Pentecostal world that I run in is, well, the Sabbath is just part of the law, which we're, we're freed from. Well, that, in, in many respects, I understand the point that one makes. But even if you make that argument, the Sabbath in Genesis 1 and 2 comes way before the law was ever given. It's literally built into creation. And if, if we don't do it, creation begins to die. An atheist needs a day of rest as much as a Christian does. Um, we were created to need to breathe in the same way we were created to need a day of rest. Yeah, and when you put it that way, uh, that that shifts it, doesn't it? Because I think there is, well, I guess I have to keep it because it's in the Big Ten. Like, as I said, it's in the Ten Commandments. But as you're saying, I mean, it's it's right there in the Genesis story that not only does the, do the humans rest, but God rests. So yes. it's it's built into the fabric of the nature of the human person. And I think about... Uh, I mean, a comparison for me, AJ, is that is that I know that I need a certain number of hours of sleep. And just about every study that's ever been done, and there's tons, because we're kind of obsessed with our health here in America, but is, you know, how much sleep should I get? And there's all these theories. Well, it's somewhere between seven and eight and a half or something like that, mm. maybe as much as nine. But we know that if we don't get it, uh, our bodies will suffer. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. Yeah. As you saying, that's yeah. like woven into the fabric of creation in the same sense. I think what you're saying, and this is a question, ultimately what you're saying is, is that woven into the fabric of the human body and the nature of how the human person works. We also have to have this one day set apart where what we might call as work, which would be, I think getting ahead, you know, doing things that that advance something right Uh, that 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 we're called to do that is that what you're saying i mean that is the unavoidable reality of the nature of our bodies and absolutely yeah it's it is telling to me that we never say that people work like the messiah uh the phrase is always people work like the devil there's uh uh, (laughs) you had me there for a second i'm going yeah i got it now um the, 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 in, in, the, in the story of the Bible, um, the, the irony of the devil in the Bible, the, the, the forces of evil, the irony in the Bible is that God knows how to rest, but the demonic doesn't. Um, mm. So, for example, when Jesus cast out of that woman the spirits, and he says uh, in, in Matthew's gospel that the spirits run through arid places looking for a place to rest. Uh, in the Bible, the demonic forces never know how to stop. God knows how to stop. In fact, so much so that when God creates the world on day seven, he rests. And when God comes back to the world in the person of Jesus and recreates the world, the kingdom takes the seventh day and rests in a tomb on day seven. 
that, and the point is that whenever God wants to get something done, uh, he takes a day off. The, and the, what's built into the Bible, I think here, is that God's rest is always more effective than human work. And that God can accomplish in rest what humans can never accomplish in all their work. To take a day of rest every week from our work is a signpost in our schedule. It is a signpost in our calendar that Jesus Christ is actually Lord over all things. Um, when, for, and, but the, and that, my friend, is terrifying. The, the mm. idea that Jesus is actually Lord of my work and my rest. And by the way, in Mark's gospel, Jesus says that he's the Lord of the Sabbath and he's the Lord of the harvest. And the point is that he is the Lord of our rest and our work, not just our rest, not just our work. It is that he's the Lord of both. I love the image of Moses going on the top of the mountain when he, he goes up right after the, he, he receives the Sabbath commandment. I mean, he receives the 10 commandments and brings them down to God's people. And all of God's people are worshiping a golden calf. Now that, by the way, is that story is why most pastors and most Christian leaders never take sabbaticals um, is we're, absolutely terrified of what's going to happen when we're gone. The real fear is when we come back down the mountain, right? Everybody's still going to be worshiping God and we're going to realize that we're not as important as we thought we were. Um, when I think about Sabbath, what it does to me is it crucifies my self-centered notions uh, that my work is doing God's work. And I'm partnering with God. I'm a co-laborer with God. We all are. But it is the work of Christ, the sovereign work of God, that is so that is truly effective. It is not my work that accomplishes uh, the, the fullness of the kingdom. It is God's work that's establishing the kingdom. And so I get to stop and let the king be the king. And that crucifies all of our narcissism. It crucifies all of our self-centeredness. Um, it displaces us. It's extraordinarily painful to Sabbath to recognize that you are not the Lord of the universe. Yeah. Wow. Well, what you just said there, AJ reminds me of, of, uh, of your writing is, and that is there's, there's so much you just have to pause because you, you just said about seven or eight really crucial things that we could talk about for, for uh, the next several hours. But um, just l let's stay with this one for a second because, and I, I want to get to, this idea about being able to accomplish more when we do less and that, 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 that amazing Sabbath principle, um, that is, I've, I've experienced personally, but before we get there, let's, let's, let's stay on this idea of, uh, of, of the, what it, what it crucifies. And that yeah. is that, uh, cause you're, you're really getting at that. And I think that's such a pervasive problem. I, I see it in myself that, that, I, I would call it maybe the flesh. I think that's what Paul would call it. That sarks, that part of me that wants to run independent of God and wants to establish my kingdom, my reputation, uh, the way th others think of me, all that stuff. It has to, it has to die, uh, in order for this kind of life you're talking about to live. And I know that's been the challenge for me when I keep Sabbath is, is I think, well, but this won't get done and that won't get done. And then if yeah. that doesn't get done, then what, what are people going to think? And, and well, boy, if, you know, if I don't do it and then instead I do all this work, then I'll get that done. And then that's going to advance the thing I want to do here. And so all of those voices, I mean, you're just naming that, that thing that I have wrestled with when I set aside that, that day or that time, yeah. because there, what, what is it inside of us yeah. that thinks I have, I need to be accomplishing I need to be at the center. I need to do more. Um, what? How would you name that particular inner battle or the the source of those voices and set that that drive us to do more, 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 and can't even think about taking a day to do nothing? Hmm. Uh, well, it's the uh, what I name it. I think I'd name it the ultimate uh, temptation of the the serpent, which was. Uh, the words to 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 the the woman in the garden, and ultimately the temptation to the to the man in the garden, which was you have an incredible garden that you can eat from anything except one tree. You have a relationship with this man. You have an ideal an idyllic Edenic environment. You can have it and enjoy it all. 
uh, and then and then the demonic voice comes in and says, uh, "But you need a little bit more. Uh, there's a tree in the middle that you should you should try out. It is the dissatisfaction of human beings to enjoy everything God has given uh, with the boundaries God has established, and to say, "I want just a little bit more." Ultimately. When we turn our iPhones off, it's not a mistake to me that when you turn your iPhone off, the people that created the iPhone made it so that when you turn it off, it flashes an image of an apple with a bite taken out of it. Um, <laughs> right. The, I mean, it, in in the sense that it's it's like they're saying you're back. We're back in the Garden of Eden, and we've been eating from the wrong tree this whole time, uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Um, that we we have not been content with the simple, beautiful life that we have of living with God. Um, we want just a little bit more. We want more. Uh, and that is the ultimate temptation that humanity faces every day. Do I live in contentment uh, with what God has given to me, the life God has given, the simple life God has given to me, or do I need more? And to say the Sabbath, I don't, I don't need the Sabbath, is to get a whole nother day to get more. And mm. the to take a Sabbath is to say, okay, God, I will enjoy, uh, I will enjoy six days this week and work six days this week, and then I'm going to take one day and I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to live with you for a day. To live a life without Sabbath is to be taken back to Eden and hear the voice of the devil all over again say, nah, you need one more tree. Mm-hmm. So it's the core temptation. It I mean, is, it, or, or it's, yeah, because that's that's sort of the paradigmatic temptation that we can apply in so yes. many different ways, but it definitely um, touches on this one. Because yes. as, as I was describing it, that is what it is, is that uh, I have everything that I need but there's that thing that I want to be in control. I want to make this happen. Uh, and okay. So you, you said it earlier, but I just want to be sure that we have made the case quite strongly. It's easy to make, but you, you, you write this, uh, it's on page five of the book, but you write the result of our Sabbath amnesia is that we have become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, spiritually malnourished people in history. Wow, that's a big, bold statement, but I don't disagree at all. Oh. Uh, and, and so connect that with, with Sabbath amnesia or the failure to keep the Sabbath. Why is it that that has created uh, a yeah. people who are exhausted, overworked, and malnourished? Yeah, well, just, just as a, as a wh while you bring that up, I should, and, and then I'll, I'll talk about the amnesia part. Um, the I, I spent the last ten years living in in Portland. I moved two hours south to us Eugene, Oregon, where the University of Oregon is, um, just a few months ago. But when I was in Portland, you know, one of the the hallmarks of Portland is that it's uh, one of the most progressive, secular, kind of justice uh, justice uh, oriented cities in the world. I mean, it is it is the place that you go. Uh, to fight injustice, it is the the city where injustice is faced at every at every corner. And what I observed in ten years of living in Portland is a generation of young people um, who live in that justice oriented world, a world that I love. I absolutely love pursuits of justice, uh, but a generation of young people that are exhausted because they're not sure which stuff they're supposed to be outraged about this week. And there's a sense of uh, ex justice uh, justice exhaustion. Am I, I can't, and I can't fight every battle. Um, and in that, in that world, in a justice, you know, progressive secular justice world, Sabbath is the ultimate form of um, leprosy. I mean, whenever a Christian says that they pray after a, a shooting, they're crucified on Twitter for prayer. Um, and that is because the, to rest, to pray, to stop is seen as the sign that you are not changing the world. Whereas in the Christian perspective, to stop and pray and be with God is the ultimate way of changing the world, because I'm being changed before the living God as a way to be different in this world. That doesn't mean that we're lazy. Um, this so this the Sabbath amnesia thing. And by the, oh, I should say, sorry, I have a really dark theory around um, 
uh, our obsession as a culture right now with the genre of apocalyptic, like so zombies and apocalyptic zombie movies. I think okay. ultimately our subconsciouses, we don't even know how to articulate, but I think on our subconscious level, we are craving and yearning and dreaming of a world where the system breaks apart and and ends so that we can finally step off this train that's killing us all. I think we're craving it. We yearn for it. Um, we, it we, is dark. It's super dark, <laughs> but I think we actually yearn for tragedy because it gives us an opportunity to stop. And I'm 38 years old. In my 38 years of life, I've, I remember one day, one day that resembles anything close to our society at Sabbath. It was on September 11, 2001. When those planes flew into those towers in, in New York City and Pennsylvania and, and D.C. And what happened? Everybody stopped. Planes stopped flying. Everybody went home, called the people they loved. And I hate to say it, but I think we actually crave tragedy now because it gives us an opportunity to stop and reflect and experience transcendence. We have forgotten. Wow. We have forgotten. Although we all know, we know it's the Sabbath amnesia. We all have a distinct longing and a memory for something. C.S. Lewis talked about this all the time. We have this longing for something that we know in this distant past somewhere. We have this longing for, for God. We have this longing for the things of God. Um, even the progressive secular world is trying to create, my friend Mark Sayers says, trying to create uh, the kingdom of God without the king. We're trying to create uh, God's world without God. We have this longing for Eden. And while we don't practice Eden, we long for it. We yearn for it. We have forgotten it. And when you start to practice the Sabbath, when you start to practice a day off, all of a sudden that stuff that you've been longing for starts coming to the surface. And you're like, this is what I've been yearning for. This is what I've been striving for. I've been longing for this day. And when you start doing it, when you start practicing it, it is the closest thing to Eden I've ever experienced. And that does not mean that it's perfect. I, I Rarely is there a perfect I've never had a perfect Sabbath. Sabbath is difficult and it's hard, but God is in the middle of it. God is there. And then we begin to experience God, hear his voice. Um, we start, our, our inordinate desires start being crucified, and that amnesia starts to go, to go away. Um, mm. And so it's beautiful. I mean, it, it is, we, we don't even know how to articulate it, but every single human being is longing and craving for the one thing that God gave us as a gift. We are yearning for it. Mm. So just as our bodies and souls are wired for it, there is actually also woven into us the longing for it. Yes, absolutely. I mean, not only is it right for us, exactly. it's like that we we, we, we long for it. So God really has, he's got us cornered mm. <laughs> based on what you're saying. First of all, he's like, okay, this is the one commandment I'm going to say, remember. Yes. And then I'm going to build it into your bodies. I'm going to mm. build it into your souls. And I'm going to put this indelible desire for it. Mm. Exactly. <laughs> and yet here we are still struggling to keep it. Let me just, I, before I get into that, to practices, because I'm, I'm sure a lot of the listeners are thinking, okay, but how do I do it? And we're going to get there. Um, but I just want to touch on, because I think it's, it's where I really lit up because in my work and, and writing, I, I think a lot about our, our God images, our God narratives, uh, who God is, and sort of that's kind of what God has put me on this earth to talk about or help mm. with people to do, uh, is, is to help kind of correct toxic God narratives and to, to reveal the God that Jesus reveals to us. But what you say on page nine about what the Sabbath teaches teaches us about the character of God, I think is crucial. So let me just read just a couple sentences that are so good. But you say the biblical creation account essentially served as a theological rebuttal of all the other gods, in quotes, who never allowed anybody to rest in a restless world. Yahweh required rest. Again, imagine what kind of first impression that would have given to an ancient person's understanding of Yahweh. The God of Scripture not only rests himself, but invites the world to rest with him. So, I mean, the Sabbath is actually also teaching us about the character of God. Mm. Say, say a little bit about that. Mm. Well, yeah. I mean, in, when you look at, for example, Pharaoh, uh, the ways of Pharaoh, Walter Brueggemann's written a great deal about this in his, in his fabulous um, uh, book on basically Sabbath as resistance, is that when you look at Pharaoh, uh, the reason the Jews were so exhausted and craved going 
uh, out of that oppressive environment was that Pharaoh never gave uh, the, the Jews rest. While, while they were in Egypt, they never rested. They never rested, which it, it, it's ironic that Pharaoh consistently through Exodus calls Israel lazy. Uh, the, the, the image of the slave owner telling the slave that they're lazy. Uh, my counselor uh, tells me that there's this thing in the world called projection, where we project our own baloney on other people. Um, when in reality, Pharaoh is the one that's lazy. He's not the one that's contributing at all. He's demanding everybody else does it. So why did Israel want to leave so bad? Because Pharaoh never saw rest as something that human beings needed. In the ancient world, rest was seen as a sign of weakness. It was seen as a sign of um, loneliness. It was, it was something that, um, that only the privileged and powerful did, but the rest of the people didn't do. And the fact that God rests in, in the ancient world, the fact that God not only rests, but God extends to the whole world um, this, day of, this day of rest. I mean, we should be worshiped. That, that man... That should make us worship God all the more. We literally worship the God who invented the weekend. So it says so much about who God is that God is willing to embody what was believed to be a weak, a weak deity. This God doesn't battle the way the other gods. This this what God doesn't uh, work the way other gods do. This God doesn't. Uh, love the way other gods uh, do. This God is completely different. If I was in the ancient world, it would say to me, this God is unlike any other God that people worship. Mm. Yeah. And that's, I, I had never thought about that until you, you wrote about that. And I thought, yeah, that's uh, these other cultures and their, their understanding of their God just didn't include that. And here's this people, these, the, the people of Israel who are going, this is who our God is. Yes. Like this is teaching us yes. something fundamental. Yes, and and to add to that, one one more thing, um, when when you look at all the religions around Israel at the time, um, <laughs> they all loved. This is interesting. They all, when you read their writings, um, everybody loved going to war with the Jews. The Jews are always at war in the ancient world. They're always fighting someone, and everybody loved going to war with them. And one of the reasons people loved going to war with them was because. They were the only people group in the world that refused to fight their enemies one day a week. There was no other people group that would give you even their enemies mm. a day off. <laughs> and the, the point is that the idea of the Sabbath wasn't just for the Jews. It was for the whole world. It speaks to God's absolute unending love for the entire cosmos, not just the covenant mm -hmm. people. It's for the slaves. It's for the uh, the workers, it's for the the mother, it's for the the single uh, single guy, it's for the children, it's for creation, it's for the universe, it's for everybody, and that says a great deal about God's character as well. That's that's interesting, AJ, and it reminds me of something that's kind of strange. But uh, my my friend who passed away, Rich Mullins, great singer songwriter, but he said a lot of funny things. But one day he was he was talking about how um, you know the people of Israel were always at war. I mean, they, hmm. they should have been, they should have been extinguished because of so many people that attacked them and whatnot. And Rich just said, you know what? One sign that, you know, they were still God's people is that if you walk around New York city today, you'll never see a, see a single Hittite. Mm. <laughs> I don't know why that struck me. It's funny. Mm, it's like, that's yeah, somehow we're, isn't that a weird thought? Wow. <laughs> and Rich just would say weird things like that. But I thought, yeah, mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, you're, I guess you're right. Like, yeah, yeah. everybody was at war with them. And the, and they did weird things like try to keep the Sabbath, and but I've never put that together. That's that's yeah. amazing. Okay, one thing I want to talk about for sure before practices is because uh, and maybe we should talk after practice, but I'm going to go ahead now. Uh, is and I don't have a term for it, but it's the it's this miraculous thing that happens certainly when Sabbath keeping, but I also notice it happens when I set aside other times for God, not just the, the day of Sabbath, but, but even the times when we set aside time to be specifically with God. And for me personally, that means like it's typically it's a morning time when I set aside an hour or two for solitude, silence, prayer, scripture, and that sort of thing. And I remember reading back way back in the day uh, that Martin Luther said something like, if I don't have two or three hours in the morning to to be at prayer and to be with God, I can't get my work done. Mm -hmm. 
which is that weird thing. And I remember when he, when he, when I read that, I thought, well, that's been my experience too. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm more productive mm-hmm. when I set aside that, that time to be with God. So it's counterintuitive because you yes. think, well, wait, Jim, you just, you, you just, your morning could have been so productive with accomplishing to-do lists and things like that. But instead you, you, you didn't do any of that. Mm. And you, you, you lit your candle and you did your weird thing of sitting in your chair and praying and writing in your journal and reading today's scripture and all these sorts of things and praying for your people and your friends that quote unquote wasted time. Somehow I got more done that day. Mm. And, and, and same with Sabbath. Like when I really keep the Sabbath, uh, I find I'm more productive and, and that's a weird thing. It's like, it's like, how did that menorah burn for, what was it? Eight days, <laughs> you know, when it had, and I, I sort of, I don't know, maybe you have a term AJ for what that, this phenomenon of the oil that should burn one day burns eight. And then the the fact that when I set aside time with God, I get more done in, in a right. weird way. Not that, the, not that it's a goal to get more done. Right. But what is that thing? Yeah, well, the interesting thing, this is one of those weird areas where science is actually really, really backing up the Bible. It, it actually turns out that the more we work, the less productive we are. So there's a, there's a threshold uh, beyond which when we work too much, our productivity actually begins to go down, which is why in France now it is illegal for employers uh, to email their employees after 5 o'clock under penalty of, of, of uh, potentially... Uh, jail time, um, because really, yeah, because because they they have they're they've of course Europeans have always been known to work less than just about anybody else, but the Europeans have figured out that productivity diminishes after a certain point, and the same is true I think in the spiritual life. Um, the morning, or the daily office. When I woke up this morning and, and spent two hours uh, with the Lord in silence and contemplation and reading the Scripture and prayer, pleading before God. That mini Sabbath to begin the day um, is a, a rhythm that honestly, I don't know how, yeah, I don't know how I could do my work. I, could, I don't know how I could have this conversation with you without doing it outside the context of, of doing it out of rest, right? Doing it out of, uh, doing it out of a place of rest. Most of, the, most of the time when I work and I don't begin with silence and solitude with God, uh, I, I operate more out of compulsivity and impulsivity rather than out of a place place of peace where, where I'm working out of the rest of God. Um, there's a difference between working out of rest and resting out of work. Um, mo- more often than not, Americans um, get their work done so that uh, they, they can, well, we, we, we see a day or two off as an enemy to work, when in reality, the biblical story is we don't begin with work, get to rest, we be- rest and then get to work. So you're absolutely right that there's a, there's a certain oddness to this that i i almost wonder if god causes some of our work to rot because we haven't rested in the same way that when israel was in the desert and they gathered too much manna um, Manna. that it would rot that it would go bad on the sabbath because they took too much um i think god causes some of our work to rot because we don't stop wow wow i totally resonate with that and again it's what i love about you aj you're weird in a, in a uh. <laughs> really cool way. And that's what I love about scholars like you. You Your mind goes places. Um, that, that's fascinating. And thank you for that. And it's going to stick with me. Uh, and I'm going to probably listen to this podcast back again, just to on that last section, I'm going to have to hit the refresh and go into it. But um, so, okay, I know lots of listeners are at some point going, so, so what's it look like? Like what mm. is what is it, what you said, there's no perfect Sabbath and I have never had one either, but I mean, what's, what does Sabbath look like for you? What's, what's kind of worked for you and not just you, but you've talked to a lot of other people, you've taught other people, um, walk, walk a listener through a little bit of what a day might be like, how you prepare for it, what you do on it, how you maybe exit it, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Um, well, it, to be honest with you, uh, this is this is one that has taken 15 years to develop, and it takes time for everybody to develop. It is not a, it's not easy to do. That um, it, it takes a lot of preparation, a lot of work, 
I mean, a lot of intentionality. It's shocking how much work rest takes to to, to prepare for it. It, it is. It, I've never met anybody that accidentally keeps a Sabbath. You have to be very thoughtful about it, very intentional. Um, and so, what we do is, um, it's it's very simple. There are a couple. Simple, but it's very complex. There are a couple things that we do that are really life giving to our family. And the first thing is when I come home, we we Sabbath on um, right now. We Sabbath on Wednesdays, uh, and obviously that brings up a whole nother conversation. Do we have to rest on a certain day of the week? Do we have to? Does it have to be a Saturday? Does it have to be something? This that that actually would be where I would differ with my Seventh Adventist friends who would say that it has to be a Saturday. Um, I, right. I believe Paul frees us from that uh, in in two particular texts in the New Testament, where Paul says, you know, one people one person says this day is holy, another person says this day is holy. But what I say to you is, whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. And I think his point is uh, that that it is not about a certain day of the week; it is a twenty four hour period in the week. And I think Paul is freeing us from that. Um, and so for me, it's for us, it's it's a Wednesday, and what I do on Tuesday, I come home and um, we turn our phones off. Um, that's the first thing we do. And then we light some Sabbath candles. Uh, it's an old Jewish tradition where um, uh, you would light these candles and sing a song. We sing a song called the Shabbat Shalom. And it's basically, it's just simple. You just, you sing Shabbat Shalom and then name each person in the family. Uh, it's, it's super nerdy and beautiful, but what it does is it brings, it ushers into our hearts the notion that we we are now entering God's presence and God's peace. So we all go to bed. We wake up in the morning. My son and I and my wife make the biggest batch of pancakes you've ever had. Uh, we just pour, <laughs> we just go pancakes every Sabbath. If you ask my seven-year-old what the Sabbath is, he would just say pancakes. It's all pancakes. <laughs> and the reason we do the pancakes is that there's an old uh, Jewish tradition that on the morning of the Sabbath, uh, the fathers were to get up before the kids and were to get each kid a spoon of honey so that the children would never forget the sweetness of God's rest. And the goal mm. is that uh, we would never forget this again, that we would never forget um, God's rest. And it's kind of Pavlovian, right? You know, you, you, you're, we're, yeah. we're teaching our kids to love the Sabbath through uh, maple Sweet. syrup, but I, I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm at peace with that. I'm down with yeah. it. Yeah. Um, Usually on the Sabbath after breakfast, nobody does paint, nobody does dishes, nobody makes their bed, uh, and that's important just to be mindful. Mindful, this is not a day of accomplishing. Um, usually, my son gets to watch a movie. My wife and I take a good nap. Um, we'll go for a walk. We'll eat out. We'll uh, enjoy some good food. I appreciate Matthew Sleet's uh, kind of thing on the Sabbath. If you eat out on the Sabbath, make sure you you tip extra so that your Sabbath is blessing somebody else. Um, we don't want to be the Shabbat Goyim, which were the the, sla- the Jew- Gentile slaves that served the Jews, that so angered God that the Jews would uh, hire Gentiles to do the work on the Sabbath, because the Sabbath is for everybody. It's not just for us. Um, and we enjoy. We rest. We enjoy. We spend time with each other. We laugh. We watch a good movie. Um, we accomplish almost nothing. And... Um, and usually by the time the Sabbath is done, about six or seven, I'm super um, sad because I don't want to open my email file. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to know what, what there is to do. Um, and I'll say it again: it's the closest thing to the Garden of Eden we've ever done. And I, mm. I would commend it to everybody because God is craving intimacy with His people, and He He's taken a whole day to do it. And I can't imagine our unwillingness to enter into that. That's awesome. And, and, and some listeners may have noted that your Sabbath actually starts on the evening Correct. of the night yeah. before, which was the, the Jewish way of understanding night and day, Correct. or the days begin at the, at the, in the evening, because that's typically, we think, oh, the day starts in the morning. Correct. But it's really sunset. Yes. Is, yeah, exactly. Is the beginning of that day, yep. marking that yep. day. And that's lovely. Well, thanks for walking through that basic. Yeah. And, oh, and, yeah. and I hope, I hope listeners are going, I want to do that, because that's not hard. Yep. That's, you know, that's one of the things that I did in the, the Good and Beautiful God. The opening exercise is sleep. Mm. And uh, that turned out to be genius on my part because right. <laughs> I, I wasn't yes. that smart when I like I oh, but but then listen, readers would go. Uh, I was really intimidated by that book. But then uh, the opening exercise was sleep. And I thought I can do that. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, because, you know, you know right. it's, and, and, and the second sort of smart thing about that, again, unintentional on my part, I'm not smart enough to know it. 
but was that sleep is an exercise mm. of grace. Like you can't yes. impress God with yes. that. Whereas if I'd started out with, let's how about fasting or read 10 chapters of the Bible, people could turn that lead into legalism, but sleep pretty hard. It, yes. So uh, same thing with <laughs> Sabbath, but AJ, that's a beautiful uh, description. And, and, and thank you for sharing. I mean, sometimes people don't want to do the personal side of what it looks like. You mentioned Eugene Peterson earlier, but you know, I remember way back in the day, my, one of my first connections with Eugene was when we had, we wanted to know like some of his personal practices. He was like, well, I'm not going to tell you what I do because I don't want you to imitate me. And I, and I saw, I saw, I saw the wisdom in what he was doing, but there was another part of me that went, well, I need to imitate someone. And Paul said, imitate me. Mm. So, you know, mm. I, I, I sometimes like when people say, here's what I do. You don't have to do it exactly like I do, but I, I learned from other people's examples. Yeah. And so just hearing you talk, I went, oh, I'd like to try that one. Oh, yeah. Pancakes yep. are good. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, just as a fun thing at the, as we're closing, uh, you don't have a website up and running, but you, um, and maybe by the time this airs, you will, but you definitely do, uh, you tweet. And I, I love your, uh, I, I follow you. And so <laughs> I want you to just, uh, I, I want to read one of your tweets. And, and I thought this would be a great way to close is uh, this is one of my favorite tweets of yours. You wrote, I'm a Pentecostal. Let me explain. That's like being a Christian animal style. <laughs> that's, right. that's an insider because you got to know the yeah, in and out burger, Exactly. Right, Thank know. you. Yeah. <laughs> I know what yeah. that is. Um, <laughs> how did you come up with that one? Uh, I think I was at an in and out and I just, uh, I just, I don't really know. I, I really don't know. That's a great question. I have no clue. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> For listeners that don't know, the In-N-Out Burger, when you order, it's kind of an insider thing, yeah. actually, right? Because not everybody, not on the menu, but if you say, I want an animal style, that means you want it, it's like with extra yeah, it's, sauce. It's, or... it's just extra sauce. That's all it is, yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're a Pentecostal, which means a Christian with extra sauce. I like that. <laughs> well, AJ, this was a great conversation. Uh, I recommend the book highly. Uh, please, listeners, do go out and get this book. And uh, sub Subversive Sabbath. A.J. Swoboda, not Aloysius <laughs> Juniper, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't. Just type in A.J. Yeah. on Amazon and, you're, and you'll you find it. And I want you back because I want to talk about A Glorious Dark. Oh, That's man. another one of your books Please. that really touched me. So let's do that. But A.J., thank you for being on the Things Above podcast and having this conversation. Yeah, thank you. And, and thanks for the work that you do to um, help us all grow and be formed in Jesus. We're very grateful for you, Jim. Amen. Amen. Thanks, A.J. All right. Blessings. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with A.J. Swoboda. I know I sure did. And I hope you'll join me next week for episode 57. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith. And you can learn more about this podcast at ApprenticeInstitute.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And you can also subscribe, which means you're going to get them automatically each week. My hope, as always, is that one day if you're asked, what's on your mind? Your answer will be, things above.